Welcome to the Crossroads Community Church Podcast. Thank you so much for joining us today. We hope this message encourages you and inspires you. Here's today's message. Well, if you have your Bibles, we're going to be in a little bit of a lot of places, but I'm going to have you go ahead and turn, if you would, to Luke, Luke chapter 1. We'll get there eventually. But for those of you that weren't able to be here last week, uh, we missed you. I'm not going to re-preach that message but, but the whole theme of this year's Christmas at Crossroads hinges around the question that you're being asked the most right now. And if you're breathing, somebody has asked you this question in the last several months, especially last week with Black Friday and all that. They said, hey, what do you want for Christmas? And you and your amazing self was like, uh, 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 um, like you know, but you're trying to figure out, is it okay to share it because is it really too much or... Or maybe it's not enough. Like, you know what I'm saying? Like, it, there's that awkwardness. And we talked about a parable. Well, it wasn't a parable. It's actually a biblical story where Jesus encounters two blind men, and it's in three of the Gospels. And in that, he heals the blind man, and he literally asks the blind man, what do you want me to do? And that's where we're sitting this Christmas season. We want to answer one simple question. What is it? You want Jesus to do in your life. And over the next three more weeks, we're going to answer that question. And we're going to do that through an amazing, amazing, amazing story. It's one of the stories that you always hear at Christmas. It's been redone so many different times. The main character of this story is summed up by one simple word, Scrooge. And you see these different concepts whether it be Walt Disney that did it with Mickey Mouse and their whole crew, or whether it be the most recent with Jim Carrey, or my personal favorite with Bill Murray that was back in the late 80s, early 90s. But this aspect of A Christmas Carol really sums up this question of what is it that you want? And in particular, I want to define it this way. What do you want Jesus to do? So if you're taking notes, I want you to write something down. The questions that you ask will determine the answers you seek. Like, I want you to think about that. The questions that you ask will determine the answers that you seek. Like, for a lot of us, we need to ask better questions. Because the questions that you ask will determine the answers that you seek. With that being truthful and the desires of your heart will determine what you chase in life. If the questions you ask will determine the answers you seek, then the desires of your heart will determine the things in your life that you're going to chase. And so you're going to hear me several times in the next three weeks and even today ask you, what is it you want Jesus to do? What are the desires of your heart? What is it that you would like? And I think this is really summed up in an amazing story that I just mentioned called A Christmas Carol. Now, I'm going to give you a little bit of backdrop, give you a little bit of information. Some of it's a little bit more trivial. Just play my game, okay? Just play my game. And we're going to get to a major biblical point here in just a minute. But obviously, The Christmas Carol was written by a, name, by a guy by the name of Charles Dickens. He's a very famous writer who's written many different things, but nothing probably more than this Christmas carol. And he gave it out on December the 19th, 1843. And it all hinged around this one particular aspect. And if you were to really look at this story, A Christmas Carol, it's really not about Christmas. 
The setting is Christmas, but the story is not about Christmas. The central theme of a Christmas carol is not Christmas. The central theme is conversion. It's centered around one man's conversion from what he thought he wanted to encountering three different things that showed him the past, the present, and the future and gave him a sense of, okay, here's what I actually really want. And we know him as Scrooge. But did you know that his first name is actually Ebenezer? Now, some of you go, well, I I thought I'd heard that. But for most people, we only know him as Scrooge. You say, well, what's the significance? Well, Charles Dickinson was actually a man of faith. And I need to give you a little bit of backdrop about the word Ebenezer. I think there's a lot of irony that's in this story and the way that Charles, but the way that he had this character, Ebenezer. See, Ebenezer is actually found in 1 Samuel chapter 7. You'll see the scripture on the screen. And it's built around this concept of when the Israelites had had the Ark of the Covenant taken from them. And if you look at the central theme all throughout the Old Testament, here was kind of the cycle that the Israelites went through. They started to have idolatry. The idolatry went into this aspect of dismay. And then in the dismay, they would have repentance. And then after they would repent, they would come back to God's favor. Well, in this situation in 1 Samuel chapter 7, they are fighting the Philistines. The Philistines have stole the Ark of the Covenant. They repent, turn back to the Lord, and the Lord provides favor for them. And they conquer the Philistines. And in the aspect of conquering the Philistines, they regain the Ark of the Covenant. And Samuel puts a stone in place in which you find this scripture. Then Samuel took a stone and set it up between those two places and called its name Ebenezer. For he said, Till now, the Lord has helped us. The word Ebenezer is actually a biblical name that Samuel gave to this stone that was supposed to be a reminder that the Lord has always, will always, and continues to help his people. If his people will put the Lord in the right place and will repent and turn towards the Lord. And so a lot of times, I think one of the places that you hear this word Ebenezer is an old hymn called Come Thy Fount. And in that second verse, it says, Now I lay my Ebenezer. And it's one of those things that it's about remembering. It's about remembering the fact that, you know what? God has been faithful. In fact, can I read for you what I wrote down? because I want to make sure you don't miss it. An Ebenezer is a reminder. It tells the story of God's faithfulness and our repentance. It is a marker for transformation and conversion. The marker that commemorates the moment that everything changed. In difficult times, it is the reminder that what was true at the time of the original change, namely God's faithfulness, is still true today. See, Dickens has this character named Ebenezer Scrooge. And it's a play on words letting you know that in life you really have two choices to make. Are you going to focus 
on Ebenezer, who God is, who he was, and how he's always helped you? Are you going to focus on being a Scrooge, getting what's yours, only concerned with yourself, and not realizing there's something greater above you called Jesus Christ and God? See, I think a lot of people get off when it comes to Christmas, when it comes to their life, when it comes to that question of what is it you want Jesus to do? Because the reality is, is we have more Scrooge in us than we do Ebenezer. Like when we look at our life, again, if it goes back to the aspect that the questions that we ask will determine the answers we seek and that the desires of our heart will determine the things that we chase, if we were to be brutally honest, we chase ourselves more than anybody else. We live in a culture, and I've said this before, and I'm trying to be real careful here, but we live in a culture where you'll hear people say stuff like this. If you don't take care of yourself, nobody else will. You know what you need? You just need a little me time. You say, Pastor Mickey, what's your response to that? I try not to use that language on this stage. There is nothing in God's word that says, you know what you need? You just need a little me time. You know what you need? You just need to live life for yourself. You just need to make sure you take care of who's number one. And you are number one. Now, don't mishear me. On regular occasions, I make this comment. Bring your best self to the dance. In other words, when you get involved, it should get better. Like, I look out at all of you guys, and I know those people that are joining us online, and I, I'm, I'm astounded at the influence that God's given you and God's given me. And when we get involved, like during the holidays, during Christmas, when you show up at the family, it should get better. It should be fun. It should be exciting. When you show up at the company Christmas party, when you're hanging out, whatever, it should be an absolute ball. You should make things better. But never should it result in you forfeiting everybody around you for you just to focus on yourself. See, I, I believe that what God wants us to do to bring our best self to the dance is the greatest way you can have a little me time is to actually flip that and get a little we time. In other words, get in God's word, spend some time with you in Christ and let him make you better. But you by yourself, the only thing you have in common when you're the only one involved is you're a part of every one of your poor decisions. You're welcome. It's an encouraging message today. And so don't get alone in your thoughts. Get some other people around you. Well, that's the character, right? That's the character. And I'm not going to go through the whole story today, but this main character, Ebenezer Scrooge, is at the key of every single thing, and he's really at the key of this question that you and I are asking, what is it that we really want? What do we really want for Christmas? What do we really want Jesus to do in our life in this thing that we're living called life? Well, there's a moment at the beginning of this story, and if you watch any of the movies, it comes across. And it's probably Scrooge's most famous word that he uses. And they're talking about Christmas, and he looked at his nephews, and he goes, Christmas humbug. But basically what it means is, oh, it's nonsense. 
Can I read for you a quote from the original text from Charles Dixon? Scrooge calls Christmas a humbug. When his nephews try to convince him otherwise, here was Scrooge's response. Merry Christmas, what right have you to be merry? What reason have you to be merry? You're poor enough. See, the, the aspect of Scrooge at the heart of this character, not the Ebenezer side, but the Scrooge side, and trying to figure out what it is you really want, he could not understand how merry, how joy, how happiness, how merry Chris, how can you be merry about anything when you have nothing? And I think that's a lie that still is in our world all these years later. We think that we find joy based on the things that we get. And because we find joy based on the things we get, that's a lie. But because that's the philosophy that we live in, then we answer the question, what is it that I really want, always with materialistic things. In fact, I will give you an example. When you get done, and if you see a small child between the age of 6 and 10 years old, ask them what it is they want for Christmas. You know what none of them say? I, I would like to have a, a, a joyful gathering of the family. I, I would like for my friends to, to be loved and, and for me to love them and love them back. I would like, they don't, what do they say? I want a doll. I want a dog. I want a fire truck. I want a toy. It's that aspect of what we're talking about of why are you living your life? And I love how the nephews responded to Ebenezer. They retorted to him, what right have you to be dismal? What reason have you to be so morseful? You're rich enough. Therefore, uncle, though it has never put a scrap of gold or silver in my pocket, I believe that it has done me good and will do me good. And I say, God bless it. See, what the nephews were responding back to Ebenezer Scrooge in this story called A Christmas Carol, is the fact that there is an amazing thing that comes with Christmas and where we find hope. And one of the central themes of that hope is actually found in Luke chapter 1, where I, turned you to, where I had you turn, and I just want to simply read it. And this is Mary's amazing, amazing concept of what she is saying, giving praise about what had been bestowed on her. And I want you to listen to the contrast and the way things all changed with what she wanted because of what she had just participated in with giving birth to Jesus. Are you ready? My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. Verse 48 of chapter 1 of Luke. For he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. For behold, from now on, all generations will call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name. And his mercy is for those who fear him from generations to generations. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought it down the mighty from their throne and exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things and the rich he has sent away empty. That word rich can also be translated satisfied. 
He wasn't talking about rich like money. He was talking about those that had been bestowed blessing. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy, and he has spoke to our fathers, to Abraham, and to his offsprings forever. See, the central theme of a Christmas carol in this conversion and a biblical concept of Christmas is the fact that Jesus literally flipped what the question was on its head when you say, what is it I really want from this life? Jesus has redefined that because God has redefined the position of who God is. See, it's, it's not by coincidence that Jesus Christ was born in a borrowed stable, which would have been a cave, in Bethlehem. It's not coincidental that the king of kings would enter into the poorest of families. It's not by coincidence that the magi, who Sam has already mentioned, who came bearing expensive gifts, would honor the lowly and prop him up. And it wasn't that he came for the rich or for the poor. He came from all of them. And the central theme of the Magi coming was the fact that not only is he there for the wealthy, but he's also been born, he's there for the poor. Not only is he a king of the Jews, but the Magi will Gentiles. He's saying, you know what? I have come so that the whole world can now know what they want. So can I ask you a question? What do you want Jesus to do in your life? What are the desires of your heart? What do you want during this Christmas season? You know, one of the central things that really hits me is if you were to look at Revelations, and we're not going to have the scripture up on the screen, but if you look at John's message to the church at Laodicea that's in Revelation chapter 3, it's hilarious because you have this church that literally thinks itself as just all great and grand and, and really doing well, but the reality is they were a complete wreck. Like they had not stopped long enough to really look at themselves and know where they are. Everybody knows the church of Laodicea, one of the seven churches, the seals that ends up being in Revelation. But we remember this particular church because, yes, this is the church that says, because you're neither, neither hot nor cold, but because you're lukewarm, I will spew you out of the mouth. But if you were to study the city of Laodicea, it was, there was a lot of water works around there. There was a lot of concepts that were going on, and, and the aspect of the lukewarm and what he was trying to say is he was talking about these water ducts and this irrigation and the things that were present in this particular city and the way they were mixing these different things, and they were taking what was hot and was cold and was bringing it together, and, and he was trying to tell them that, you know what, either you love Jesus or you don't. You can't have it both ways. You can't say, hey, on Sunday, man, you are Lord of Lord. You are King of Kings. You are my God. I submit to you. I give you everything. And on Monday, go to work and be like, whatever. Like either you are with me or you're against me. You can't be Ebenezer. He's always helped me and also be a Scrooge. And when you find yourself playing that game, what he's saying is, you're nauseating to me. And one of the greatest aspects of who Jesus was during the Christmas season is where we have to realize, again, what do we want Jesus to do? Well, I think it starts by answering one question. Where are you really? Do you know that in the New Testament, it's an amazing, amazing concept? It's actually found in Luke chapter 5, verse 20, 31 and 32. And it's this concept where Jesus says, 
I did not come for the healthy, but for the sick. He's being questioned about why does he eat with the tax collectors? Why does he eat with the sinners? And he basically is saying, I did not come for the healthy, but I came for the sick. It's not the healthy that needs the doctor, it's the sick that need the doctor. I did not come for the righteous, but I came for the sinner. See, the concept that's there is before you can ask the question, what do I want, you gotta figure out who you really are. Like for most of us, the reason why our desires are so jacked up is because we won't be honest with ourselves and say, here's where I really am. Do you know the first step in getting help is to say, I need help. The first step in moving forward is realizing you got an issue. You say, how do you define that? Maturity. Like if you want to tell me the difference between a man and a boy, between a woman or a lady and a girl, it's when you start realizing, you know what? I may not be as, as, as great as I think I am. I may not be all that in a bag of chips. I may actually need some help in this thing called life. I may not be able to accomplish all the things that I want to accomplish by myself. I may not have the ability to go get this great American dream all by myself. Or if I catch it, I may find it wasn't worth chasing to begin with. And you know how Dickinson relates to that? He says, what's your Ebenezer? What's the thing in your life that marks where the beginning started? What's the stone in your life that when you look at it, you say, wow, God has always been there and always helped me. See, the, when we were to, I can't, I can't talk for you, I'll talk for me, okay? Here's Mickey Clark's life. Okay, now hang in there. I tell you this all the time. Don't, don't get too much in my mind. You'll get lost and you'll be in a bad situation. But I'm going to give you just a little piece of it. When things are great, I could, I'll tack a tank with a butter knife. I'm like, let's go. Yeah, this is great. And all of a sudden, the simplest thing can come along. And I can find myself losing sight of the forest because of the simple trees. It's amazing how the things that we focus on direct the things that we chase. And it's amazing how quickly we can let the things of this world and the things that get in our life distort us from realizing what we're really after. Jesus said in his word, I came for those that are sick. I came for those that are sinners. But I do think you've got to be real and realize that, you know what, all of us in the room have the same issue. We're sinners and messed up. And because of that, we needed a Savior. And if we can't recognize that we, sit, we are sick and that we have a problem, then you know what? You're never going to overcome your problem. But the first step is going, you know what? I need something that's bigger than me. So can I ask you another question that I've asked three times already? What do you want Jesus to do in your life?
and the things that you've been doing, how's that working out for you? The last thing I want to share, and then I'm going to be done, is actually this beginning story of Ebenezer. It's where Ebenezer becomes a Scrooge. We're going to talk more about this over the next several weeks because there's multiples. But where I want to just leave you today and get your mind thinking is at this beginning moment where Ebenezer has the ghost from Christmas past that comes and he visits him and he pulls back the curtain to one particular moment in his life. And it's the moment in his life where he's sitting down and he's having a conversation with the love of his life called Belle. It matters me little, she said softly, to you very little. Another idol has displaced me. And if it can cheer and comfort you in times to come as I would have tried to do, I have no just cause to grieve or stay. Can I read that again? It matters little, she said softly, to you very little. Another idol has displaced me. And listen to these words. And if it can cheer and comfort you in times to come, listen to these words very carefully, as I would have tried to do, I have no just cause to grieve or stay. In which Scrooge responds to her, what idol has displaced you? And she responded, a golden one. Most of us struggle with what we really want in life and what we want Jesus to do because we've unintentionally let something replace something that only he could give. Do you know that Jesus Christ, the reason why he was born, the reason why we celebrate Christmas is because of the cross, and the reason why we have the cross is because of resurrection after his death, because we can have life and have life more abundantly, and that his whole purpose is to bring you life and to bring you life more abundantly but the issue that we run into is that we replace the person that can give us what we want trying to get the things that we think we want. And there's a word for that called idolatry. We've allowed things in our lives to become idols, which means we are worshiping the wrong thing. We think a career or a job is going to give us joy and give us purpose. We think a particular relationship other than that with Christ is going to give us purpose and give us joy. I'm all for marriage. I don't know what I would do without Amy Lou for the last 24 years. 25 if you count the year that we were dating. I've told people before the only thing I would change in my life is I would have met Amy earlier and I would have married her earlier so we'd have had more time quicker. But never to the detriment of my Jesus. What do you want Jesus to do in your life? Can I ask it a little bit differently? Where have you placed him? What's his role? When I ask you what you want, are you honest enough to know where you are? And where is Christ in that situation? If you were encouraged by today's podcast and would like to hear more messages, visit us at crossroadscommunitychurch.com.